1: So let's get down to business with another episode of Start a Puzzle brought to you by Fullscale.io. And we are back. Thank you for joining us for yet another episode of the Start a Puzzle podcast. I'm your host, Lauren Conaway, founder and CEO of Innovate Her KC. And I do have to tell you that we have a fantastic sponsor for today's episode. Today's episode of Startup Hustle is sponsored by Gusto. So, Gusto has modern solutions for modern HR problems, whether it is talent management, payroll, onboarding tools, Gusto's HR platform has it all. You're going to be smarter than your competitors. They're going to make it so easy to manage your HR. And the best thing is you can try a three-month subscription for free right now. Just sign up at gusto.com backslash startup hustle to get started. That is gusto.com backslash startup hustle. So, so folks, for those of you who listen to my episodes on a regular basis, I think you all know I'm pretty vocal about the fact that I love talking about equity in entrepreneurial ecosystems. It is one of my favorite topics in the whole wide world, and I think you all know that I'm a talker, so that's saying a lot. Uh, today's guest, I am so excited to have her with us today. Uh, we have with us today Stephanie Melodia, founder of Bloom, and Bloom is it's a brand marketing agency for high growth tech scale-ups. Stephanie herself has been named, this is so impressive to me, and you know that we're going to talk more about this, but has been named the UK's top 20 most influential female founders. She's been named to that list. How impressive is that? Um, You know, Stephanie is also the host of an entrepreneurship podcast, much like Startup Hustle, called Time to Bloom, and then uh, has the Bloom Presents event series with feminist panel events for International Women's Day every March, business sessions in September. I mean, what a powerhouse. Stephanie, thank you so much for being here with us today. Thank you so much for having me absolutely so so we're gonna have to kind of dial it back a little bit because even even folks like folks listening at home even in the like pre-show prep that we do Stephanie and I were just kind of off we were just like let's talk about this and this and this and it was lovely lovely to talk to her so we are about to have a very good conversation but I'm gonna start that conversation by asking the question and the question is Stephanie tell us about your journey
0: I was born here in london u k to a British mum, Italian dad. I'm not going to go through the full life story, don't worry abroad <laughs> and I uh, came back to London just over ten years ago, which is where I properly started my career and it was actually beginning with a boutique agency here in London where I was so blessed to have the most amazing boss you could have ever wished for. you know sometimes you just meet people. And you're so grateful that your paths have crossed at that time and space and you Absolutely. Came together in this way, um, which has really informed, you know, the main subjects of today's conversation around promoting gender equality in startup communities working for this incredible man has really shaped my feminist philosophy, which we'll get a bit more stuck into, but essentially he was just the most incredible mentor Um, he was you know as the phrase goes male pearl and stale which is very offensive to middle-aged white men he was one of those who fell into that category but he was absolutely amazing he was the best boss to have had at the beginning of my career when I was a young 22 year old and from there essentially grew and grew I went and worked for a larger agency I then finally went in-house from a marketing perspective I wanted to see things from different sides of the fence before eventually then setting up my own company which is something that I always set out to do. Um, My previous bosses had always at least half jokingly talked about the day I'd run my own company without me even mentioning anything to them and so set up Bloom my brand marketing agency. Thank you so much for doing such a wonderful intro there at the start. I founded Bloom just over four years ago And since then, it's been a wild ride, as you can imagine, as any business owner, you know, doing it all yourself, um, riding the rough with the smooth, lots of stuff going on. And you're doing
1: things that you never, ever thought that you would do. Like the day that I was doing electrical code work, like trying to bring our electrical up to code, I was like, this is not what I (laughs) anticipated when I decided to become an entrepreneur.
0: (laughs) The key is to get as as soon as you're as soon as you can afford it as soon as you're making enough money is to get those things like delegated and part of that you know we talk a lot about The importance of self-awareness as a leader, in order to be a good leader, you need to really know where your strengths lie, where your weaknesses are. Because funny enough, the more that you progress through your career, the higher up that you get up that career ladder, a funny thing starts to happen where less and less people start to um tell you you know what's wrong with you of course correct or you know you'll find right. more, more people start to agree
1: with you right because you're you, the boss you've built credibility
0: you that of us, but you're you are the boss and so yeah. you'll find more and more people are kind of nodding along and listening to what you're saying so you know keeping yourself you know I guess it's it's just grounded or just that level of objective realism if you like with who you are um, and part of that is to understand, look, I'm good at this. I'm not great at this. If I'm not great at this and someone else can do it, I'm the same or to a better level. And I can afford to delegate
1: sure. then
0: you know, that's the key because otherwise it's just a fast track to burnout if you're doing everything for too long.
1: Yeah. So you said something that was really, really fascinating to me. You, well, you said a lot of things that were really, really fascinating <laughs> to me, and we're going to drill down on a bunch of them. But I'm going to start and I think I'm going to I might surprise you and I might surprise our listeners with where I start, because we're, we're talking about gender equality in the startup space and in entrepreneurship. But one of the things that you said, it really resonated with me. So your first, uh, I guess, mentor, champion, advocate was a man. And mm-hmm. I have to tell you, I actually have the same experience. The first okay. boss that I ever had that I felt was truly invested in my success and taught me how to be a better leader was mm-hmm. a man. Mm-hmm. And and so the other inter- one of the other th- interesting things that you said, you 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 said you know middle aged white men. It almost feels like an insult, and we hesitate to say it. I have that as as well ingrained in me a little bit because I I feel like. I don't like, um, parsing people down to their, their identities. Mm-hmm. Um, I like to see more than that, but that being said, like he was, you know, middle-aged white man and mm-hmm. he was the best boss I have ever had. He Amazing. is the, he is the reason that I am able to be the leader that I am today. I and he innovate her wouldn't exist without him because he gave yeah. me a voice. And so I want to talk to you a little bit about that. I want to hear, yeah. first of all, I'd love to know the name of your mentor, if you feel comfortable disclosing, because let's shout out the people we love. Um, but then I'd like to hear more about that relationship and, and how that changed you, prepared you for your career. Yeah, um, talk to us about that.
0: Yeah, I mean, uh, one of my most favorite subjects, you won't be able to shut me up to talk about the most, one of the most amazing men I ever had the pleasure of, of you know, mentoring me. Uh, his name was Simon Baker. He's no longer with us, very sadly. Uh, we definitely lost an incredible man a few years ago. But it's something that has made me so incredibly passionate. My, I mentioned in my intro there, you know, how it shaped my feminist philosophy, which is very much all around the he for she, the male allyship. We're now on this fourth wave of feminism. We've gone through these phases where, you know, of course, nothing, nothing. but I don't think you can ever have enough of female empowerment or lifting each other up and the sisterhood and all the rest of it. But my view is, if I'm at this level, I'm only going to bring you up to here where logic dictates if most of the seats around the boardroom table just so happen, as you say, to be filled by these people who happen to be Mal and Stale, they're able to take you much further. And so actually there's a stat that's really stuck with me from the post, you know, we're now in this post me Too era, where yeah. this report that was conducted by um, Girlboss and a few other kind of organisations that uncovered 60% so, over half of male managers um, s- since that movement now found themselves to be incredibly uncomfortable mentoring young women in the workplace, which you and I, you know, of course, you know, this is, we've spoken incredibly highly of these first mentors who happen to be male, who, you know, set us on this path. And to this day, you know, I still think about simon and if i'm having difficult situations with work or you know you've got the whole what would jesus do in my mind it's what would simon do and i think back to him even though he's no longer with us so the idea that these men now they've been you know i wouldn't say that we've necessarily gone too far because these are injustices and these are wrongs that needed to be you know righted but if now you know the knock on effect is now men feel uncomfortable or they're so hyper aware they they don't know you know what to say or how to handle situations and they'd rather just you know it's just too much of a risk it's too scary they don't know they've just got that that insecurity now to 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 take these women under their wing it's just that for me is just, it's just making me feel like we're going in the wrong direction. So this is also where I think that, so just another idea that I just want to build on this as well. And my, my, my train of thought here is also, again, you know, empowerment is great. Sisterhood is fantastic. You know, I'm part of lots of different female entrepreneur networks. I think they're wonderful, But again, I think in order to progress, you know, I think that's great as part of the second, third waves of feminism, but we're creating these echo chambers and you you said I host these International Women's Day events every year. I make sure when I'm putting together my panel lineup, I make sure that there's not only uh, a diversity, ethnicity. Ethnically, but also that we have at least one male representative on the panel as well, because it's diversity and inclusion. We need to make yeah. sure that we're not cutting out other sides of the conversation, that men feel comfortable taking part in that conversa- conversation, that they feel comfortable even attending those sorts of events. Why right. would a man attend an International Women's Day event that's got an all female lineup filled with a room full of women? You know they're then the odd one out, and they're then sticking out like a sore thumb, and they're not feeling too comfortable. There is that inequality that needs to be fixed, of course. So you know there's lots of sensitive areas here, but that is you know my view on it. We need to have a he for she, a male allyship stance when it comes to achieving gender equality.
1: So, so that is so interesting, and I do just. I'm going to take us back just a second because you may have heard me giggle when you said that 60% statistic. I was not giggling because it's funny because I actually think it's a travesty, uh, but I was giggling because I had actually written it down <laughs> as a talking point. I was like, yeah, "Oh, she's about yeah. to say it. I know she's about <laughs> to say it." Uh, but no, I, you, you're you're absolutely correct. Um, you know, in a in a world where we have not yet achieved gender parity in a lot of industries and verticals, you know, as it, w- when it comes to finding mentorship and championship within your organization, um, anything that we can do to make that easier mm. is 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 a good thing. Um, mm. And so we don't want women missing out on opportunities because mm. somebody didn't feel comfortable uh, reaching right. out, you know, taking their hand and helping to give them that leg up. Mm. Um, so, but you, you said... You said a few really interesting things, and I think you and I, um, we, we have seen, we have identified the same challenge, but we actually have very different ways of, of dealing with it. So to your point, um, there have been countless events that I have attended, professional development events, where I will see what we call mannels all male panels, <laughs> and never in my life have I looked at that panel and said to myself, "That is not a space for me," because I feel as though having all male panels are the is the default. Um, and so, when you see see gender parity, when you see racial parity, um, it's a it's a pleasant surprise. <laughs> mm-hmm. So, I I want to I want to push back on you a little bit or drill down a little bit, because Mm. one of the things that I do, we, you know, Innovator, we have a lot of what we call female-focused events. Men are absolutely welcome, but we prioritize the woman's experience. Mm. Um, And so what what I do is when we have an event coming up like the Innovator Awards or uh, girls just want to have funding, I make it a point to reach out to male leaders within the community and say, hey, you know, you have approached me in the past, said that you wanted to be an ally and co-conspirator. One way that you can do that is by attending this event and listening to these women leaders, because Mm -hmm. you have a lot to learn from them. But what we need to do is we need to establish a visible line to to co-conspiratorship. And a part of that is just being present. Being there, mm, yeah. So that's something that I do, mm. um, and and I do agree with you. And I'll and I'll I'll tell you how I agree with you. You know, innovator, we have a a board of directors, and we we have two men on our board. Um, you know, not a majority, but that was a very intentional choice because to your point, your earlier point, um, if we are trying to achieve diversity. But more so than that inclusion, because we want to have more perspectives at the table and make better decisions as a result, then yeah, we need to have both men and women on on panel or on on boards and in leadership roles. Um, So I absolutely agree with you there. And I just I, I wonder, what do you think of that approach?
0: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I've definitely carried out the same, um, that same strategy of reaching out to these guys in my network as well and making sure that they are, they're showing up. Um, I am affiliated with Ada Ventures, which is an early stage VC fund here in the UK as well, which is very much focused on Positive impact and you know using capital for good. These things are going to take time, and they're helping to redirect the funds and the wealth, and making sure that capital goes to some of these pockets of of the nation and um, adjusting some of these things. And so, last year I had the um, the co-founder, the partner of the fund, talking about their their investment strategy and specifically on you know the female founder front so i'm a scout of theirs strategically placed to help open up the the avenues to get that wealth into into female founded companies Again, another stat to throw out here is a recent report showed that for every one pound of UK venture capital investment, one penny of that went to female-founded companies. Yeah. So it's I think it's very with these sorts of things. It's so easy, you know, especially when you see these stats and these reports. It's so easy to think, oh, it's so doom and gloom, and you know, how far have we really come? How far we, you know, are we really making significant progression here? And the truth is that because it is so complex it just, it really does take time to solve. So, you know, you've got so many interesting perspectives to look at this from way back at the very start of, you know, early child development, right? So you've got the toys that children are given when they're growing up. The easy way- big
1: ovens versus the toilet oh, trucks And so the baby terrible. dolls versus the science kits,
0: you know? <laughs> it's really bad. Yeah. It is getting better. And again, for me, it's you being are- in the being in the uk we're supposed to be you know we're a first world country we're supposed to be leading the way with some of these things so at the moment this is supposed to be as you know as good as it gets um but you know i grew up abroad my family still live out in spain and so a while ago i was out there visiting and i actually just on this note with these gendered these heavily gendered toys my sister asked me to accompany her on a quick shopping trip for a present for one of her friends' babies. And just walking into the shop where again, I, I do think it's better here in the UK, but walking yeah. in just to your point, you literally had the whole right side of the shop. It was just Barbie pink. It was so, it was just like pink everywhere. It had to your point, the ovens, the do- the prams, the push chairs. And then you had the, the, the boys section, which had the dinosaurs and the trucks and all this. Right. So when we're talking about, you know, startup communities, that's inherently, you know, the technology sector and so if you think well this is something that stems from a very young age it's how we're conditioned it's the language that parents unknowingly completely unconsciously use when they're talking to their daughter versus their son and so over time this conditioning that then it seeps into where you decide to major, where you decide to focus for your career. And so, you know, the STEM industries, the science, technology, engineering, math, it's still, it's very maldominated. dominated And so yeah. in the technology sector today, in startup communities, you've got largely men that's already in there and doing the work. So you've got, you've not got that diversity of thought or perspective on the work that's happening. And then interestingly, the other level with the technology piece there is new technologies with AI, ML, etc. What I find also very interesting here, and I know there's lots of different subjects that we can dive into, but when you think about the fact that technology has these connotations of innovation and progress and disruption and pushing the envelope and doing and ripping up the rule book. Whereas actually, when you think about machine learning, artificial intelligence, these are patterns that are being reiterated and compounded over time. And so in the same way that our brains are literally evolved over thousands of years to be efficient, to, to conserve calories, Our brains are the best pattern finders to make shortcuts so that we're not having to consciously think about getting up out of bed in the morning and breathing and all these things that we do subconsciously. So in the same way, there's this parallel with artificial intelligence, this technology where it's made to be efficient and it's patterns. But actually, all of this is where on the flip side, you get the unconscious bias, the prejudices and then if they are being coded by a predominantly male workforce <laughs> right. in an industry that you know, is supposed to be the opposite and it's supposed to be very progressive, then you know, this is where we have these problems. And this is where it's a tricky one. We need to make sure that women are being spotlighted. You know, I'm also part of female founder, you know, women speaker communities. Absolutely, we need that. Um, but again, I think from, for me, I feel like we are verging too dangerously into this area of echo chambers of diversity and exclusion when we keep it, when we, when we don't make the other side feel comfortable to be part of the conversation.
1: Yeah. Well, so, so just a couple of things. Number one, I'm going to let you in on a little secret, Stephanie, are you ready?
0: Absolutely.
1: So sometimes, on occasion, when I have a little extra time and I'm walking around like a Target or some kind of department store, I will go and I will take the NASA shirts and the science shirts from this. I will put them in the girls' section because it just irritates me to see that there is this clear delineation between what is appropriate for boys and what is appropriate for girls. And I'm sure I would like to apologize to the individuals who work in these stores. I'm sure that the people who (laughs) stock hate me, but sorry, not sorry. Uh, So just wanted to tell you that because as you were talking, I was like, yes, yes, that's true. I also. So send uh, emails to companies around Christmas when they send out the for her and the for him lists. I'm just like, ah, could we maybe rethink that a little bit? Uh, but so, so to your to your point, I I think that's so interesting. And you know, we we see this. I think one of the the examples that pops into my head. Um, when we were talking, there was a, a period of time when there was like all of this controversy surrounding. I think it was Google's AI um, system. Like they had built this artificial intelligence rec- facial recognition system, and one of the problems that they were having is that the technology was having difficulty recognizing people of color because it had it had been built. <laughs> using white people because white Mm. people were on the development teams. And so there was this huge uproar because Mm. if you're creating a product that is is designed for the masses designed for everyone, you have to make sure that it's representative of everyone. And so, so that's, that's a, that's a, just an example, you know, but I mean, this could apply to anything. Like when you, when you look at design thinking, you know, designing for, designing to solve a problem for the most vulnerable among us or for all of us. You know, you look at cars, cars tend to be designed for men. The Mm. pedals are larger. Women have more difficult time working pedals in cars, Mm. which could actually potentially lead to an increase in accident rates. And so anytime you are creating and making decisions in a vacuum Mm. and you are not uh, listening to or attuned to the needs of the other, you're missing out on an opportunity, or you're creating a blind spot, right? I, I mean, there are so many everyday
0: examples of this. It is, yeah. you know, these people again. I don't. They need to be aware of this. You know, sometimes you're you're too close. You, you can't see the wood for the trees, is the expression. Um, but some other examples, just to add on to those as well, which I've also heard, is around. Um, so phones iPhones also like I have I'm a fairly petite woman I have tiny hands <laughs> and yeah. the phones they just I can't hold I need to now have the cover with the finger kind of loop behind to hold yeah. my phone it's so crazy
1: And they just keep getting bigger to we- the point where it's uncomfortable and, and and I mean I'm I am not particularly petite and I have long fingers and long palms and I still have difficulty holding my my iPhone it, it's at times.
0: These, it's these little things, and there was a whole movement a little while ago as well called Everyday Sexism. And for me, it's like those tiny things that there were so many that I hadn't even realized. But as soon as it was pointed out to me, I, my, my stomach sunk, and I just thought to myself, this is in a way almost worse because it's infiltrated our everyday life so yeah. much that it's just not even noticeable anymore. Another quick example I wanted to share before I forget as well is apparently in architecture. This is one of those things where it's like, now I've said it, let's see how many of you, the listeners as well, notice this when you're out and about. Yeah. it's also from an architecture standpoint is when you go to an office, a bar, a restaurant, anywhere with washrooms, you will very often find the men's to be first. They'll be closest. Right. And then it will be the women's afterwards. And so it's one of those things as soon as I know or as soon as it was pointed out or read about it, I then started seeing it everywhere. And I thought, again, it's this oh, yeah. it's this everyday it's not intentional. You know, I think this is the other thing as well. It's making it's not um, It's not about, you know, pointing fingers or making these guys, you know, feel bad or it's everyone's yeah. got their own unique perspective. But there is that system that's broken. It's opening up your eyes to these things so that you get that diversity of thought so that actually these things that just didn't even cross your mind yeah. are now well being considered
1: well and 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 so i think it bears mentioning that what you're talking about is privilege like i don't have to think about this because yeah. it's not part of my experience that is a form of privilege yeah and so so breaking down and deconstructing that privilege again as you said it's not an attack but it is a reality that needs to be talked about Mm. and that that needs to be like the only way that we are going to solve these problems and solve these, these climates and these inequities, the only way that we're going to solve them is by first acknowledging them and then discussing them and then coming up with solutions. Like that's, Mm. that's kind of how this has to go. And I I think Mm. you're right. You said this a little earlier, like we are seeing a lot of improvement, but we're not done. I don't know if the work will ever be done. Mm. And so it's just a matter of continuing to have the these conversations and holding people accountable to the choices that they make in, in in how equitable the systems and the products and the programs that they create are. So uh, really quickly, I do want to break in. And of course, we have, you know, gone down so many rabbit holes and I'm just fascinated by this conversation. Darn you, Stephanie, but I do have to tell you that today's episode of Startup Hustle is sponsored by Gusto. Uh, So managing your team can be so easy. Easy as one, two, three with Gusto. There are no more late nights processing payroll, dealing with business tax filings, all of those things that stress entrepreneurs out. No more painful spreadsheets for attendance tracking, which I got to tell you, I hated those. Uh, say hello to your new HR platform. You can check out gusto.com backslash startup hustle to get a free three-month subscription now. That's gusto.com backslash startup hustle. And I think you know by now, we at Startup Hustle love anything that makes an entrepreneur's life easier because we know how difficult it is. And we definitely recommend checking out Gusto. Uh, so, So back into it, we are talking to Stephanie Melodia of Bloom. We are talking about Building equitable systems and achieving gender parity and and all of these amazing things. And so I'm going to get a little, we've been speaking generally, I think, up till now. And I'm going to add, let's get a little specific about the entrepreneurial space. Um, and I'm, if you don't mind, I mean, just bear with me for a second. I mean, indulge me. I'm going to tell a story. <laughs> and so, um, you know, because what I do is so directly related to inclusion, it's one of our foundational values and ethics, and it's how I make decisions as a leader of innovator. Um, I, I stake our reputation in our ability to be equitable and uh, and to recognize intersectionality. So. All of that to be said, I get invited to spaces where sometimes I am the only white person and, um, that's okay. And I, but I do want to say that I, you know, often I walk into the room and I'll look around and I will be very aware of the fact that I'm the only white person in the room. I don't feel any malice. It is not, um, you know, I'm not sad or angry or anything like that, but it is very noticeable. I stick out. And so I had an epiphany one of the first few times this happened. I was like, I wonder if this is what it's like to be a person of color in the startup space, looking around, not seeing people who look like you, think like you, act like you. Um... You know, I think one of the first times it happened, I went to a showing, a pre-showing of Four Colored Girls. And one of the, in the beginning of this show, one of the things that they do is they sing a sing song. You know, when you were a child and you were jumping rope or you were playing with your friends and you were like, say, say, oh, play, and like you sang the songs and did the hand claps. Um, They started to do the, the the actors on stage started to do the sing song and all of the women of color in the audience around me started to sing the sing song, but I didn't know it because it wasn't a part of my history it wasn't a part of my culture mm-hmm. and i didn't know the words and so i feel like being a woman or someone from a marginalized community in the start of an entrepreneurial space can sometimes sometimes you don't know the words <laughs> you know and and so i want to talk to you a little bit about that what are mm-hmm. the challenges and blind spots and opportunities mm-hmm. that you see specifically in the entrepreneurial ecosystems that you work with I love this. Thank you so much for sharing that story. It's so interesting
0: to dive into these things. So what immediately came up for me is I am not like, I'm not a woman of color. I appreciate people are only listening to my voice. Um, but I have never fully fit in everywhere. 100% because I am, I'm half Italian. I grew up abroad. Um, anywhere uh that I kind of lived I was always there was always kind of one you know one foot in one foot out I was kind of part of the community but not fully like I've never That's been correct. 100% fully part of the community and even now even in the UK, you know I have a very British accent as you can all hear I live in London I've been living back here for 10 years now it's where I was born but you know, my childhood my teenage years was abroad was somewhere else so it's actually it's really funny it's really kind of jarring for a lot of people as well when sometimes they'll share similar to this this sing song that you shared in your example there. someone else might say a a particular phrase or like there'll be slang or there'll be something from, you know, what happened here in the UK when I, when I wasn't around and I'll just be completely over my head, you know, I've got no idea what you guys are talking about. And it's so jarring because I'm so, you know, I, to them, I'm so British. And then in the same way, vice versa, you know, I can be, I can be foreign in other ways. So I think this is interestingly, I want to link this story back to your comments before at the start of our conversation, Around reducing people to these basic demographics, you know, we work in marketing; these, yeah. these basic identifiers around like gender, color of your skin, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. So it is more about culture. It's more about where you've grown up and these things that you just you have in common, that level of relatability. But again, you know, you're saying you being the finding yourself being the only white woman in the room, full of people of color. Similarly, I found myself being the only woman in the room a lot of times, but I've still found a way to connect with someone else, whether it's through music or anything else that we've got in common, right? So I think as the world, you know, gets a smaller place, there's more and more, you know, intersectionality, there's, you know, what's deemed as black it can be so many different things. You know, I think I can't, I'm not speaking on their behalf, I'm. Calm. that's not my position, but I have. Like black friends who come from Kenya and Ghana, and then Jamaica, Barbados, and it's like completely different parts of the planet, and yet they're still put in this category. So I guess, I guess summarising kind of my views on that great story is just, I think there's there's more of a melting pot that's happening it goes deeper than these basic demographics. I think there's ways to find things that you have in common with people that go beyond the color of the skin or your gender. Right.
1: Yeah. And and I, I thank you so much for, for those thoughts. Now, now what I want to ask you is so, so I, and I talk about this pretty much every show. Um, So I love to give our entrepreneurs tactical advice. This is something mm. that you can do tomorrow or today, mm. implement it in your business, implement it in your life to, <laughs> to change your behavior, to live your ideals, to do these things that you value. So, mm. so I'm going to ask you and, and we've touched on some, but I'm going to ask you to get very tactical with us. Mm. What are some things that our listeners at home can do to promote gender equity in the startup spaces they occupy?
0: yeah great question. I guess if you're a guy, whether you're a co-founder part whatever kind of position you're in whether you're in a team regardless of your job position, if you're in a group meeting and you hear either a female colleague or your female co-founder or someone talking, and being really mindful about not cutting them off, I've definitely noticed that men it's still just part of you know myself included you know I get excited and passionate and it no no one means to be rude and people don't even notice but I think just being a lot more aware of when women are speaking up you know often it's not as easy they want to get their points across make sure that they're heard make sure that they're not getting cut off get you know raise raise them in those in those little ways is absolutely possible part of that as well is just being a bit more Conscious of those everyday kind of sexism examples, these things again, then maybe not done with you know the wrong intention, it most likely was just something that wasn't even thought through properly. But just being kind of open your eyes, being aware, and then I guess more practically as well, is you know, there are different, um, there are different kind of forms to feel what's the word I'm looking for, the um, where you get kind of votes to make a change, um. Like, like, you know, like demographic internet internet census? Just like change you know, like change.org we have over here where it's like you oh, know. Surveys. Not necessarily surveys, but just like to vote to help, you know, when there's certain causes, these injustices, like on change.org, that these things are free. Yeah. They're free to sign up for, you know, you can get these updates and you know, doing a digital signature is literally just a click of a button just to kind of do do your part. So I think there's kind of the closer to home. There's stuff that's happening around you. Be aware of it. Being really sympathetic to that. Um, yeah. Picking up the women if you can. Don't don't cut them off. Make sure that they're heard. And then, yeah, putting your name to these. I don't know why this word isn't coming to me. It's just a basic word. <laughs> where it's just sig- signing these, I guess, petitions, right? Just like these petitions. Okay. Um, it's an easy thing to do as well. So every little yeah. helps.
1: <laughs> um so so I recently actually very recently as in like within the past week posted about that boss that I talked about earlier oh, amazing. Um, and one of the most transformative things that he did for me was so inconsequential to him like he he didn't even notice it and you know a couple of years later, I told him I was like, you did this, and it changed my life Aww. it put me on a path and what he did all the what he did So I had come from um, pretty male-dominated industries. I think folks who listen to the show know that I worked in aerospace, automotive, and IT. Those were like my three. And, um, you know, by and large, had pretty good experiences, but also had some pretty heinous gendered ones. Um, And so the first day that I started working at this organization, um, I was kind of sitting back just listening to folks spitball about an event that we were planning and my boss turned around and he just looked at me and he said, Lauren, what do you think? And I, and I was very surprised, but I answered. And he said, well, that sounds like a great idea. Let's do that. And then he turned around back to the whiteboard and started strategizing. And I went to the bathroom to cry because it had been so long since someone had not only asked me for my opinion, but then valued it. Yeah, And so, I mean, even something as simple as asking for an opinion can be so profound mm. and so meaningful for someone who has been marginalized. Mm -hmm. And I would say that this goes for women. I would say that it goes for anyone from a marginalized community, just creating space for that individual to say what they have to say and then acting on it and giving it import. You know, that's, it's, it's amazing. Like I still think on that day as the day that changed, changed me it's the day that I started on the path to become a leader because Aww, I was given permission and agency and acknowledgement that I could be, I right? And as you yeah. said, it was so inconsequential to
0: them, was it? It was so- It meant
1: nothing to him. Yeah. But to me, it rocked my whole worldview. And so so I just, to our listeners at home, I just want to say that, you know, i Solving all of the problems related to gender inequality and related to, you know, racial inequity and related to systemic, by all of these things, they seem so daunting. And we're never going to, we're not going to solve these problems in a day. We're not going to solve these problems by talking about them, but we can incrementally create better spaces Right It doesn't always have to be the huge shoot for the star's action. Mm-hmm. Sometimes it can be that everyday mm-hmm. quiet empowerment that makes all the difference, right.
0: I wholeheartedly agree, absolutely,
1: yeah, I love that well so so i'm gonna we we have gone over time to- we have almost gone over time. And I know we're going to go over time by the time we have finished talking, but I don't care because I have loved this conversation. But I am going to ask you the human question. Stephanie, are you ready?
0: I am ready. I'm excited.
1: (laughs) Here comes your human question. Um, So what is a secret pleasure that you engage in? I'm going to ask you to like spill the beans and tell us about that secret fun thing that you do that nobody else knows about. It cut
0: out a little bit there. Was that just secret pleasure was what you were asking yeah, me? Yeah, just
1: secret pleasure. So so like, for instance, mine, this is so ridiculous. I love reading uh, vampire and werewolf romance fiction. And <laughs> it's a little embarrassing and I don't like telling people about it, but I'm going to tell people about it now because I freaking love it. <laughs>
0: My not so secret pleasure, because if you enjoy it and it's legal and above board, then definitely celebrate it. But I guess my, I guess more my kind of guilty pleasure is yeah. selling That's a
1: better sunset. way to say it. I think that's what I was trying to ask. Yeah, yeah
0: for sure. I've been watching, so Netflix is Selling Sunset which is just I mean it's just it's absolute trash TV. isn't that
1: like isn't it like really really high dollar homes <laughs> and, and, and drama? Yeah. okay
0: exactly yeah just silly just sometimes you need to switch off and you need to just watch these glamorous women living a whole different life
1: <laughs> That's right like you and I don't have much in common but you sure are fun to watch <laughs> <laughs> That's kind of how I feel about like my my werewolf fiction. I'm just like I do not understand any of the things that are happening as it pertains to my life. It's really, <laughs> really really fun. Of escapism, <laughs> right? We all need a bit of escapism
0: yeah. of these days.
1: I love it. Well, I, I, I got to tell you, Stephanie, thank you so much for taking the time to, to have this conversation. Um, listeners, I do want you to know, and I'm going to make this, uh, I, I am going to make this promise to you because I did reach out to our producer and, and, and confirm that it was okay. But Stephanie and I also, we had a conversation about sleep in pre-show prep. And so I ask you to keep your eyes out for a, an epi- a forthcoming episode about the power of sleep for entrepreneurs, because we know that you are probably not getting enough sleep. <laughs> uh, but thank you so much, Stephanie. It has, it's been great to talk to you. Thank you so much for having me. It's been a pleasure. Absolutely. And folks, we also want to give one final thank you to our episode sponsor. Today's episode of Startup Hustle was sponsored by Gusto. Gusto is an all-in-one HR platform. We know that uh, us entrepreneurs, we often struggle with that back-end minutia of the day-to-day and Gusto is there to make things easier for you. It's an all-in-one HR platform. Check out Gusto. You will have everything you need in just a few clicks of your mouse. You can even get three months free when you go to gusto.com backslash Startup Hustle. That is Gusto.com backslash startup hustle. Also, want to tell you to keep an eye out for Andrew Morgans. He is one of the co hosts of the Startup Hustle podcast, and he is an expert. He is a guru. He is a man about town as it relates to e-commerce. So if you want to get on Amazon, if you want to sell your products online, definitely check out his episodes. They drop on Tuesdays and he is a master of it. So uh, thank you so much, friends. We are so grateful that you take the time to listen to us week after week uh, and keep doing so. We will catch you on the flip side.